at home. Squeeze in, everybody. Squeeze in. Hi, everybody. I'm Joe. And apparently, Robert said I've been brought out of retirement. <laughs> yeah. So if I'm a bit rusty, that's why I'm very old. But I've got I've got a bad cold, and a, and a, you know. But it's not coronavirus. They say in Norfolk, it's not coronavirus. I'll just move. <laughs> no giggling. Okay. Hello, family. You've got. Microphone work. Do you want to check yeah, yeah. it? I think so. Yeah. Okay, let's have a big hello from everybody. Hello, family. Hello. Hello. Okay, there's quite a lot of them here. Okay, I don't know who's going to go first with the microphone. I, it's funny. I, I always, I always um, have a clock and go because I'm obsessed with the timing, you know. And I can see it's, you know, three minutes gone already. And Goff said, "Don't worry about a clock. Don't worry about a clock." I was like, "Okay, I think he means it this morning." Okay, so these guys were in Norwich a long time ago and um, did a great, um, supported us really well and, and part of our relational mission family, moved to Peterborough. Um, Valter, do you want to just start or would you like to start, Simone? Uh, you're the nearest. So just tell us what you did when you left Norwich first. You went to Peterborough. Yeah, so we were in Norwich for four years, um, did, did lots of uh, voluntary work here, then we um, were involved in starting up Mile Cross, doing the kids' work frantic there, which was very exciting. They're here today to support you. Yeah, and then, yeah, God, really, yeah, really special. He just, he called us to go to, uh, to Peterborough. And then um, started off there uh, doing children's work there as well, being part of the team. And then um, he became an elder, and I was involved in the children's work there as well. And, yeah, we loved the church family. And it was amazing to see how... The church, it wasn't going as well as it is going now, and it's just amazing how God has just transformed the whole church and make, makes it in, now it's like a thriving church, which is exciting to see. Great. Done. And um, I know you've got how many now? Okay, you've got four girls. Just tell us their ages, or perhaps pass the microphone on and they can tell us their names. No. This is Elena, and she's 10. 10. I'm Mike, and I'm 13. This is Leek and she's seven. She's a little bit sleepy because they had a two-hour journey this morning. That's it. And this is Tesca and she's five. Hi, Tesca. <laughs> and I won't tell you my age. Yeah. You can come and ask me afterwards. That's all right. Val, so just tell this. So one of the reasons that we were having a little interview is because you're moving to the Netherlands. Yep. Um, just tell us a little bit about how that came about first. So I think when people... Um, you know, we hear about church planting and it's all an adventure, but it's quite a big move for you guys, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it comes when you least expect it, I guess. Um, we um, got a prophetic word many years ago whilst we were still at King's and uh, um, we planned to come here for one year. Famous last words, 15 years later, we're still in England. Uh, but uh, God said, there's uh, going to be a time where I'm going to call you to go back to the Netherlands. And uh, I don't know about you, but when you get prophetic promises, you kind of sometimes forget about them for a little while, don't you? You kind of live with them, but not always as clear. And um, we were just settled. I took over leading the team in Peterborough for about the last five years. And then very surprisingly, two years ago, God started speaking, now's the time. And uh, the prophetic word we had was, I said, at some point you will receive a call from across the waters that says, come over and help us. 
And uh, we found ourselves in the Netherlands two years ago. We sat across uh, uh, one of the elders who was leading one of the Dutch churches. And uh, he doesn't really speak English. He speaks Dutch mostly. But halfway through the conversation, he paused. He looked at us and in English said, please come over and help us. That sounds and, like uh, golf. He always says, come to Norwich. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of where we started. Um, Simone had a dream uh, that um, we were at a church camp and that we stood up and that we announced that we were going to come to the Netherlands uh, the same summer. Uh, the camp happened, and uh, um, minus the announcement, I can say, but it was a real moment of confirmation. So we kind of said, okay, God, it seems like you're in this. Would you confirm what you've just spoken? And uh, we came back. I got a phone call from Morris, and uh, he says, I've been asking you for the last 10 years whether you would consider moving back to the Netherlands, but I really feel your time has come. Would you please consider? And um, a few weeks later, I got a prophetic word from a worship leader in the church, and uh, he said, I can see a picture of you. Um, you're walking across the waters, and I feel God's opening a door to the Netherlands for you. So that was pretty clear. Um, we thought, wow, God's in this. And um, that's where we started talking with the team, preparing. So that's what we've been doing for the last two years. Uh, it's been quite a uh, fast-paced ride. Uh, we just handed over. At the church to Luke, who comes from Cambridge last Sunday. Uh, he's now leading the team, and uh, we're really pleased to see them starting well. And then we started exploring, okay, the Netherlands, where? And uh, maybe you want to tell that part of the story, Simone. Um, yeah, so we, we started to pray. We started to gather some people who, who could speak into this and to, uh, to hear from God. Um, and it's been amazing, like um, the, just the words, just one after the other, just really confirmed first the region, uh, which was Gelderland, which is in the east of, of Holland, and then um, in that region, a, a city. Uh, and it was amazing, like uh, there was a sit, uh, someone in a picture of, of the, um, the city had a logo of a bird, and actually the city has a logo of a bird. And then it was an old city, and it is an old city that someone felt like it was an old city, and it, it actually is uh, an old city. And then one really specific word, uh, someone said, yeah, I, I just feel there's something, uh, God wants you to be in a city um, where there's some kind of walking event happening, like a four-day walking event. Now, Nijmegen is uh, the city in Holland where there's like this four-day walking event happening, and he didn't know anything about it. So it was all these words on top of each other that we felt God really sort of pointed us. And then one that was really, really, really amazing is like someone had a word about uh, the Peter's Pot, which is like a, a, a walking path that goes from the north to the south of Holland. And then there's someone else had a word about something about the Tentec route, which is also a route that goes from the west to the east of Holland. And then if you, if you um, put these two routes together, where it crosses is Nijmegen, the city where God wants us to go to. So it was quite amazing how God sort of spoke these two words. And then we're like, right, X marks the spot. This is where we need to be. So, um, yeah. Wow, it sounds uh, great. It's really encouraging for people as well because everybody, you know, when you're thinking of moving and, you know, it's great. Now, I um, just wanted to know, I know that you, I've seen you doing things with relational mission, lots of children's work, and I know family is very important to you. How have you intentionally encouraged the girls to join you in the adventure or, you know, change, I say? <laughs> Um, yeah, they've always been part of everything we've done. We always do things together. So um, I remember the summer 
that we uh, were visiting the Netherlands and we had that word come through. Um, uh, Alina was watching out the window uh, when we were driving at some point in the car and she said, we just moved house. It was quite a hassle to get there, but she just said, I just felt Jesus saying to me, next time we'll move house, it will be the Netherlands. And um, it was quite surprising. Alina doesn't really like moving house <laughs> and uh, uh, perhaps not so much self-interest in that, but um, uh, it was quite remarkable. I think God already starting to speak to them uh, in his own way, and um, uh, we've been exploring that together, so talking things through. Uh, I mean, it's a big cost to pay, so for us, a lot of people saying, oh, you're going back home. Um, well, 15 years later, no one in the Netherlands consider us Dutch anymore, but um, no one in Engl- England would consider us English either. So um, for these guys, they've all um, grown up in England. This is their home, so going to another country uh, where you don't speak your first language, uh, going to a school that's different, uh, is going to be a big cost to pay. And um, we talk about that often together. Uh, we really admire their courage in that, and uh, we're, we're really pleased with that. Um, but we also keep praying. This is an adventure we do together, and by no means we can do on our own. So we ask for God's strength in all of that. And I think that's really important why we want to support you and have a church behind you so that you don't feel you're going out there on your own without support from home, home in Norfolk. So what are the things that you would like to, like what are your challenges, immediate challenges now that we can be praying for, supporting you in um, at this moment? So um, we've, um, we've got a little team that's come together, which we're really excited about. So we've got four core families coming with us to Nijmegen. Uh, We're moving end of July. Two of the other couples are moving uh, in June already, and uh, one of the other couples a bit later. And they come from all over. So we got one couple coming from the States, uh, one from England, uh, another one from the Netherlands. We've got a wider team of people kind of looking in, interested in coming. And they come from all over, um, Northern Ireland, India, um, South Africa, the Netherlands. It's uh, quite an international bunch. Uh, which is really exciting. Um, so I think between all of us, we've got already got nine nations represented. So a little core team of about 20 people. Uh, and uh, we're really pleased. That really is the answer of prayer over the last few years because um, these have all been remarkable stories. I won't tell you all of those, um, but uh, we're really pleased with that. Um, we've um, set up a little website called www.plantnijmegen.com so you can read all about our adventures. There's a blog on there that tells you different steps of the journey and there's different... Uh, people in the team that have written blogs about some of our values uh, that uh, may sound very familiar to you being part of the RM family. And uh, we'd love you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram, uh, or online. Go check us out uh, online just so you can be part of the journey and hear some of our adventures. We'd love you to pray with us. Uh, very specifically, we're praying for a house. Uh, Two months and a week to go and not having a house does make us a little nervous. So when Goff asked who's feeling a little anxious this morning, I think that's probably in the back of our heads. So we're praying for a breakthrough uh, in that. Um, and then if you're, very, uh, if you're interested in regularly praying with us or um, financially supporting us, there's lots of information online as well. And we're going to stay after during the lunch uh, to tell you all about it for anyone who's interested. Great. Okay. I think we'll leave it there. Go to if Goff wants to pray. I was going to cheer, but yes, I, I, this, this, I mean, they speak, I mean, Valter is, is, their English is fantastic, isn't it? By the way, you do, you do know that when we get to heaven, we're all going to have to speak Dutch, because on earth, the Dutch have to speak everyone else's language. So we, just get yourself ready for that. But we love this family. We, we're so grateful to God for 
uh, what they've done, they've meant to us as dear friends over the years. And uh, we, we want to really get behind them as they go. And I mean, how many of you would like to, you think you might visit, go out to name Nijmegen? Oh, your one hand went up there. Any, I'm not going to keep you to this, but who might be up for visiting to encourage? To, we we want to get behind. Hey, we're one church family across the nations, and we really want to... We want to be with you and supporting you. So, Father, thank you so much for this family. We love them. We, we, we're so grateful for what uh, Valt and Simone brought to us those years ago and served us so well. And now, Lord, we, we want to pray a big blessing on them, and I want to pray for this house. Lord, even right now, we pray for just a beautiful house, just right, in a right place, that's got the right number of bedrooms and everything else. Lord, we're praying for your provision. You're a good, good father. We pray for the provision of a house for this beautiful family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Joe. And thank you, children. You've been really, really, really good. Bless you. Thanks for sticking with us. Thank you. Good morning, Norwich. It's so great to be with you. We've got such warm memories. It feels like coming home. Uh, this is wonderful. We, um, we do a little tradition in our family. Um, we make a little year video to look back over the year. We watch it at New Year's Eve. And uh, I've been working hard, working my way back to make little videos from the time when the kids weren't around yet. And uh, there's some lovely videos we have of us walking around in Norwich. Uh, some of you were in there. Some of you still had hair then. Some of you... Looked a lot younger, we looked a lot younger, um, but it's such a sweet memory that we have, and uh, it's a real privilege to be here. Uh, we're your biggest uh, supporters and fans. It's always great to come here. I regularly come and visit Goff, and I always get a warm welcome and a free coffee in the cafe, and uh, it's been such a pleasure. So uh, it's my privilege to speak to you today, and uh, I'm going to talk about a subject called the fragrance of Christ. Now, you may have heard that before, you may not, um, but um, it was really something that got put on my heart over this last two years as we've been preparing for Naimek, and I wanted to share it with you. And it started with quite a miraculous event, really. We were in Nijmegen um, last summer. We had a little core team together to actually be on the ground. Uh, we had never been in Nijmegen before, so all the prophetic words were very clear, but we said, we better go and check it out first. So we were there, and we thought, how would we get to know this city the quickest way? If you were in any city, where would you go to find out more about the city? Yeah, the tourist information. They'll give you a very nice detailed description, wouldn't they? But uh, one person in our team had a great idea. Alka, uh, he's also a Dutch guy. He said, we should go to the hairdressers. Because the hairdressers talk to everyone. And they know everything, right? So that's what we did. Uh, he went to a hairdresser called Mr. Beard, um, and uh, as I didn't have a quite so fancy beard, I went to the other one called the Four Brothers. It was the most expensive haircut I've ever had, I can tell you. I did not check the price before I walked in, but um, uh, it was quite an occasion. I sat down, and I was treated like a gentleman. It was fantastic. And I had a hairdresser called Max. So I said, Max, I'm here visiting Nijmegen. I want to know more about the city. Tell me about Nijmegen. So Max started telling me about Nijmegen and uh, all the things that you could see there. And uh, it was a rather interesting conversation. And then he asked me and said, well, what are you doing in Nijmegen? 
So I told him, I said, well, God's been speaking to me about coming to plant a church in Nijmegen. And I told him our story, uh, a bit about our family. And uh, I said, do you have anything with faith? And he said, well, my faith is LSD. Uh, I didn't quite know what to say at that moment. Um, so I said, tell me, how does that work? And then instantly regretted it um, because I got a little workshop there and then about how LSD experiences work. If you want to know more about that, come and find me after the service. But I, I don't think we should do that now. So um, I was chatting with Max, and uh, um, we, we got a little bit further kind of about conversation about faith, and he grew up in a Catholic school. And um, uh, he kind of said to me, he said, well, um, yeah, I'm looking for something. I know that there's more, but I already know it's not going to be the church. It's not for me. I thought, wow, interesting. Here's somebody who's willing to go to the lengths of the earth to try out all sorts of mediums to find out what might be there, but he's already decided that it can't be the church. So I asked him, how come? And he couldn't really give me a good answer. Um, so I started to tell him about my love for the church. And uh, as he was cutting my hair, and uh, it was a very long haircut, I think uh, I sat there for me, this thought. I think 40 minutes or something like that. And he suddenly like, started cut slower and slower and slower. And then he stopped. And he looked at me and he said, do you smell that? I, said, I wasn't quite sure whether to be offended or, uh, or, or anything else was going on. But it's like, no, what, what, what do you mean? It's like somebody lit a, a fragrance candle in this shop. It's everywhere. Do you not smell it? No, no. Have you got these experiences more often? Uh, just checking. You're not on the LSD thing at the moment, are you? Like, no, 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 no. I said, wow, that's amazing. I said, well, I believe God speaks in all sorts of ways to us. And I started telling him how God had spoken prophetically to us for all sorts of ways. And um, he was rather intrigued. I paid for my most expensive haircut ever, felt obliged to give him a tip on top two, and, and then left the shop and prayed, God, will you get Max? And everyone else in this city who has decided that they've already written off the church but are looking for more. Now, when we look at um, the fragrance of Christ, there's some beautiful verses in the Bible. And I was reminded about some of these verses. So when I came home, I thought, God, what were you doing in that moment? Something miraculous was happening. I really believe that God manifested himself in that barbershop to Max in a way that can't be described but miraculous. And uh, he led me through some passages. If you've got a Bible, um, if you can find 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, it says this. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who, we'll jump a little bit, through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now the same week we were walking uh, through the city in Nijmegen, we did a prayer walk. We had all sorts of people coming from Germany, Belgium, the Netherlands, and together we were walking through the city, said, come God with your presence here, show us what you want to do. And uh, we came back, we had lunch in the park, and we were sharing stories and what we felt God saying to us. And uh, one of the ladies came and said, I walked past a fragrance shop. And she said, uh, in, the, in the window, there was a slogan. It said this, 
Many things will fade, but not the memory of fragrance. And I thought, wow, God is on to something here. Many things will fade, but not the memory of fragrance. Now, did you know that fragrances and memories are connected? Some of you, you walk in a room, you smell something, and you instantly remember, either positively or negatively, a memory. Now, a little while ago, um, we had a, a, special, a special memory, and um, during one of our visits, Simona's sister-in-law bought her a little surprise. Now, she didn't know, but uh, she was our master of ceremony during our wedding, and uh, she remembered what fragrance Simona was wearing on her wedding day. I've got it here. I pinched it out of her cupboard, so don't tell. Um, uh, it's called Cool Water. And she bought it as a little surprise many years later to give to her as a gift. Now, Simona didn't tell me about this, but uh, she put it on and she came and found me and she said, do you smell? Do you smell? What can you think of when you smell this? Thinking, oh no, this is a trick question. If I'm going to get this wrong, this is going to go horribly south, isn't it? But I instantly remembered. I said, that's the fragrance that you were on our wedding day. I, I don't know, I, I couldn't look it up, but I smelled it and I remembered it. And many of us will have memories that are triggered by fragrances. Well, the beauty of this verse says that we are the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. When you go around your daily activities at home, in school, in your business, you are the fragrance of the memory of Christ when people come around you, they're supposed to smell something. They're supposed to get something in your life that, that looks different, that smells different. You are the memory of Christ in the earth. You keep the memory of Christ alive by the way that you live, you work, you study. Isn't that amazing, mind-blowing? People are around you and you are the remembrance of Christ in the earth. That's what the church is all about. Now, Max had written off the church, but he was greatly intrigued in our conversation. Something happened in that moment that interested him. And it's not a building that will spread the fragrance of Christ. It's not a nice little leaflet <coughs> or a nice program. It's the people that follow Christ. Let's spread the fragrance of Christ everywhere. And that's got huge potential. Now, there's a really beautiful story in the New Testament about fragrance. And uh, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 14, and we'll dive in a little deeper, just to bring this fragrance of Christ theme alive. And it's a story about Mary, Mary who makes a great fragrant sacrifice. When you look through the whole of the Bible, um, Fragrances and sacrifices are often intertwined, like a little theme. You can read about it in the Old Testament. There's fragrant offerings that are made to God. Uh, and when people do things that are pleasing to God, it's like, a, like a, 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 a nice smell to God that goes up. It says, now, this is a very special sacrifice that very clearly was filled with fragrance. So we're in Mark chapter 14, verse 3. It says this, while he, Jesus, was in Bethany, Reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive 
perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money could have been given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whatever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, that's a beautiful story, isn't it? I think we should dedicate any sort of fragrance to the memory of Mary, shouldn't we? Everywhere you go, you smell something nice. It says, her story will be told and she will be remembered. As we do that this morning, this is what Jesus said. The story will go everywhere and we'll remember what she did. 2,000 years later, we're reading through scripture and that story is a reminder to us again. Now, what's so special about this story? Well, Mary um, had something that was very, very expensive. Now, um, I, I tried to find something that looked vaguely like it. I couldn't really find a 2,000-year-old jar, so I thought I went, go, go for this. This is a half-liter jar. Uh, the perfume that she had was half a liter. That's, that's, that's quite big, isn't it? When you go to the shop normally, like you pay an absolute fortune just for this little bottle. Now, imagine it coming in a bottle like this. Anyone got a perfume jar on your beauty shelf that this, this size? Any aftershave? No? No, I don't think so. Yeah, we, don't, we don't really have that sort of thing. That is worth a fortune. Well, back in that day, it was worth even more because fragrances were not widely available. It was only for rich people. And uh, when you dig a little deeper into the story, we can um, uh, find out that the fragrance was pure nard. Now, nard had to be imported across the Himalayas to, uh, all the way to Israel to get there. It had a long journey, and it wasn't flown over in a, in a jet. It had to be um, taken across on foot or, or, or with some sort of traveler's um, uh, arrangement. And uh, it was very, very expensive. It was estimated to be about 36,000 pounds. Imagine 36,000 pounds. So when Mary came in and she anointed Jesus, this was not a, a nice thing you do to make somebody smell lovely. Like, this is an outrageous. Enormous, generous gesture from Mary. She, she basically sacrificed everything she had. Now, it was probably expected to be uh, some sort of heirloom or uh, maybe an inheritance or something she had, but it was very clear this was going to be the most costly thing she possessed. And by breaking it and pouring it over Jesus, it was likely uh, to cost her quite a lot, more than just a perfume. It was like selling your house or like your future or your, your business. This was like a big thing, a big thing to give up. Now, as she did it, um, she, she released her sacrifice and it, and it, and it spread like a, a fragrance. But in order for her to be able to do that, 
She had to break the jar. It says in one of the other Gospels. She had to break the jar. Now, this wasn't a bottle that you could kind of like take the lid off and then um, just take a little spray just to kind of, "Mm, that's what we do. Like, don't use it all at once, just a little bit. That's not what she did. Now, I don't know whether you've ever sat on the train or a bus and somebody had kind of clearly broken half their jar open and put it on. That's not pleasant, is it? Sometimes you're kind of like sitting on the side of the window, just kind of trying to get some fresh air. This is, so imagine breaking a bottle of half a litre perfume. I think everyone was hanging out the windows after that, right? That was a fragrance. Like that, that was powerful. And she couldn't just take a little whiff. She had to break the whole thing. It was all or nothing. It didn't come in a little jar that you could open. It was like, yes or no. And that's what she did. She broke the whole thing. Now, I'm not going to try and attempt that because the modern uh, design is a little sturdier. Um, But um, she had to break something. She had to break something to sacrifice to Jesus. Now, when people look around the way that we live, they're not supposed to be seeing people who've got it all together, who are perfect. I wish I was perfect like you. I, I, I wish I had it together like you. That, that's not what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means living broken lives, sacrifices, doing things that are hugely countercultural. And through those actions, people start to wonder what made you do that? Why did you go down that route? Now, quite a couple of years ago, we were on a journey. Um, You've seen Tesca sitting on my lap here uh, on the sofa. Uh, We adopted Tesca last year, and it was quite a journey to get through. And I remember sitting on the sofa with the social worker, and they're doing quite kind of interrogations, really. I can't really describe them anything else. They want to know everything about you. And uh, after we had the the conversation, he looked at us and he said, "I, I just don't really understand You've got three perfect little girls. Why on earth would you want to break what you have to invite in an adopted girl? You do know they come with troubles. They're not going to be as intelligent and wise and clever as everyone else. And we kind of felt a little offended by that, thinking, don't you think we, we, we kind of thought about that when we went through this process? We, we didn't go looking for a little girl because somehow our family wasn't perfect enough. Like we wanted to give a girl who has no home an opportunity to have a home. And you only need to have to be around our house for a few days to find out that we're not the perfect family. They're all very well behaved sitting here at the front, right? That is an exception, I can tell you. That's not normality. They are very wonderful and, and they are absolutely beautiful girls. But we also have some crazy moments in our house, including parents. Um, and um, um, what we wanted to do was open our house and give her an opportunity to experience what it's like to be a family. But in order to do that, you've got to break something. Break something that you have. It's, it's everything or nothing. When you get the adoption papers through, there's no way back. You can't go back to the shop and say, no, this one didn't quite work. I'd like another one, please. That's not how it works with children anyway, isn't it? But you have to be able to give something up, to break something in order to welcome in. But through that, the fragrance of Christ is released. I can't tell you how many times we've had conversations with people 
when she joined our family and talking about what it means to open your house and your family. And there's almost no better picture to explain what the church is like and what the family of God is like. That's you and me, isn't it? We're invited into the family of God. We're invited into God's family. And thank God, God didn't want to keep a tidy house. There would be no place for you and me, would there? But God has invited you with all your warts and all because he is willing to give everything he had. Now, this is what Mary did. This is why she continues the remembrance of Christ in the earth. Now, when we continue the story, we can see that her sacrifice was not really met with approval. It was met with disapproval. People were offended by what she did. She could have sold it. That would have been worth so much and we could have given it to the poor. Some people could be offended by the way that you live. And that's okay. When we've been telling the story about going back to the Netherlands, a lot of people kind of been saying, why on earth would you want to do that? Like not everyone understands. When you're putting in some sacrifices to follow Christ, not everyone's going to understand. It says to one, there'll be the fragrance of life. And to the other one, there'll be the fragrance of death. There's two opposites for you, isn't it? And what was happening wasn't really met with lots of favor, but Jesus looked through it and he saw what she did. Now, following Jesus is a bit of an everything or nothing kind of thing. It's not like a one toe in and I'll see how that goes. It's, it's learning how to give your all to God. Now for us, this journey has been uh, about learning how to give our all. I'm not standing here and we've made a random decision to go to the Netherlands to follow Jesus and leave everything behind. This has been a journey God's been taking us on. I just want to tell you a little bit of that journey in very practical terms. So I think it was about um, four years ago, uh, we had a real desire to buy a house. And we'd been renting places for many times, and uh, uh, we had a real desire to buy a house. Now, um, I, I don't know about you, but um, uh, at Kids Worker Salary back then, it didn't go very fast saving up for a house. So we had painstakingly set some money aside, I think about £2,000, as a little start of a deposit. Now, we were praying and said, God... Um, to be honest, if we're going to do this our way, it's probably going to take another 25 years, and the kids have already left home by the time we're going to buy a house. Um, we're going to need a bit of your help. And we said, we've got £2,000 together, and we, we kind of want to trust you with this. We're willing to put it in your hands. And if you want to have it, it's yours. You'll just have to let us know. Well, a couple of days later... I meet this lady in the church. She's quite devastated. She's about to be put out of her home. And uh, I talk to her, and I say, wow, what's going on? And she kind of tells me, and said, and I ask her, what do you need? And she said, well, I need to pay quite a few months uh, rent up front, and that's going to come to 2,000 pounds. You wish you'd never pray that prayer, right? So it's like, well, normally I have to pray about this and think about this, but I think I may know someone who could help you with those 2,000 pounds. So... We gave her the 2,000 pounds and then started praying. It's like, God, if you're in this, then uh, you're going to have to come through for us because now we've basically got nothing. So um, we're praying. Uh, the same day uh, the money leaves our account, we get a gift. 
6,000 pounds. Somebody gave us 6,000 pounds. Now, I don't know about you, that normally doesn't happen to me. No, it was like, I think God may be in this. So we're like, great, well, um, started saving up a bit more, a bit more, got to about 8,000. We thought, we're nearly there, we're nearly there. I go to a conference, a relational mission conference in uh, London, and uh, I remember it well. Steph Liston was speaking. Now, I can't remember for the life of me what he was talking about, but he said one phrase, and he said, give your all. And I was like, no, not again. This time it was a little more. And I was like, I phoned Simone up and I said, I can't shake this, but I kind of feel God's wanting us to do this again. She said, are you sure? Well, I'm Dutch. I'm never sure about giving money away. Um, and uh, we said, well, let's pray. Say, God, if, you, if you're in this, confirm it. Same evening, Mike Pilavachi is speaking. Um, Mike Pilavachi is doing a ministry time afterwards, and he says, um, there's somebody here in this room. You had a phone call with your wife this afternoon talking about doing something very risky, and God says, go for it. No. I mean, you don't make this stuff up, do you? So um, the relational mission offering comes around the following evening, Oh, my days. I've, I've never lingered over that offering basket for so long, letting go of that check. Right, here we go. Um, and uh, everyone keeps worshipping. I think, I don't think you know what just happened. This, this is a big occasion. Um, so, so we got praying. It's like, well, last time, 2,000, 6,000. Well, if you kind of do the maths, 8,000. I mean, that would work out something around 24, maybe a bit more, wouldn't it? So we're praying, like, expecting, like, this is it, isn't it? God, we're trusting you with our all. Next day, a car fine comes through, and a car bill. Um, no provision. I mean, we're kind of going through weeks of this, like, oh, my days, this is tough. It didn't work. And I felt God saying to me, well... You said you were going to trust me with your all, wasn't it? Did you give just because you thought this was going to work? Or did you give because you trusted me? I was like, oh, okay. It's a bit like Mary in the jar. Like this is an everything or nothing moment. And I thought it was going to be a return quickly. That's clearly not how it works. So a couple of weeks later, we have a gift day at church. And... Uh, uh, we love gift days, like we love giving gift days, and uh, um, I was praying, God, we have, really haven't got much, um, I mean, we kind of recovered a little bit from where we were, but um, we want to give, but I don't, I, I don't know, and then God spoke very clearly to me, he said, I, d- I don't want you to give anything to the gift day, he said, I want you to give to the people who are going to give to the gift day, oh, that's complicated, I felt God saying to me, I want you to go to the bank, and I want you to go and uh, take up 150 notes of five. And everyone who's going to come, you're going to give a five-pound note. So I sent Simona to the bank, and uh, she got um, some notes out, and uh, she phoned me up and says, there's no 150 notes of five in the bank. So just take whatever you can, and uh, whatever she give you. So a slightly bemused uh, bank attendant was counting down all these um, notes of five, and uh, the next... Uh, uh, day, we, we kind of hunted every pot and wallet in the house um, and put it all together on the table. And lo and behold, we had exactly 150 nodes of five. 
So we sat our girls Sunday morning around the table, and we said, "Uh, we feel like God's saying, you've trusted me with your savings. Now it's time to trust me with your everything. And we're like, okay. Girls, this morning, we're going to give everything we have. There's going to be no money to buy shopping. There's not going to be anything for the rest of the month. And they looked at us and go like, why on earth would you do that? And then we said, and we'll start with you. All of you get a five-pound note. Well, that solved the deal. It was done. So we went to the church and we announced, this is going to be the first gift day ever. You're going to get money. And everyone slightly bemused. And we went around and I preached about Christ giving his all to us. And how we felt God saying, I want you to copy that and give you all. So we went around, and uh, we still had uh, a few notes left over at the end. So we said, let's go around all the kids' groups and all the youth groups. And uh, we had a few uh, random stray youth coming around saying, I hear you give money away. Can I have some too? Yep, fine. We won't take any of it back. So we gave all of it. And then we came home, and, uh, and we started praying. It's like, okay, God, like, this, is, this is it. You're going to have to come through for us. Monday, uh, it's tomorrow, that's our day, we do shopping, we haven't got any money. Um, We've got some apples in the fridge, we trust you. And uh, the following day, I get a phone call. A guy doesn't even come to our church, he says, I know someone who goes to your church, and I heard your story, and I assume you're going to need somebody to pay your shopping this week, so I'm going to take you shopping. Great. Um, so Monday, I went to the shop with my uh, uh, little girl, Lika, and uh, he was there, and he said, you go and load up your car, I'll go have a coffee, and I'll pay for it at the end. So we go through the shop, and uh, Lika was saying, can I have that, can I have that, can I have that? Yeah, sure, load it all in, he's going to pay for it. So uh, I think we did some creative stacking, like Jenga stacking in the cart, and well, I, I can tell you, that was the biggest, the fullest cart we've ever had, and we went through, and uh, this guy paid for it with great joy, we came home, and I remember Lika's face when she was carrying these bags. She said to Simona, look what Jesus has bought for us. It was incredible. We sat around the table, and I can't tell you what a good father we have. When you learn how to trust him with your everything, when you make sacrifices, he will care for you. Now, At the moment, we're preparing to do it again. We're going to go to the Netherlands. Do you know how much money it costs to move a family from Peterborough, sell a house, pay your mortgage fees and whatever, then buy a house in the Netherlands and and land there? 36,000 euros. That's more than everything we have. But we trust God that he's going to go and provide for us along this way because he has every step of the way. Now, we're still praying. Thank God, by God's grace, we were able to buy a house a couple of years ago. And now God's saying, I'll have it back, please. Okay, here you go. You'll have it back. That, That means giving you everything. Now, when Mary was at Jesus' feet, she broke everything she had. And she gave it to Jesus. Now, Mary didn't do that because there was some sort of fundraising activity happening that needed to be done. This is as close as I get to a piggy bank. It's a doggy bank. Um, 
Mary didn't give her everything because somehow the disciples were in need. Mary didn't give her everything because somehow Jesus had asked for it. Mary gave her everything because she had seen something in the Spirit that was going to happen. I don't know whether you picked it up, but it said this. She did, verse 8, what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. She had seen what was going to happen next. And what was going to happen next was Jesus not giving some sort of year's salary away, not just doing a nice fundraising activity, giving everything he owned. Jesus was about to be broken. Broken for the whole world, for you and for me. And Mary had seen that. She had seen that Jesus was going to do something extraordinary and that he was going to die and she was going to bomb his body beforehand. I believe there was some sort of revelation that was happening in that moment. And she saw what no one else saw. How do we know? Because she was crying all the way through. She was crying, it says in some of the other um, Gospels. Mary had seen what was happening. Now, when Jesus died on the cross and the Son of God gave everything he had, everything, his whole body, all his money, everything he had possessed, the whole earth was his. He gave all of that up for you and for me. Now, when you see that with your eyes, it's not hard to give up the little that you have. Jesus doesn't say, well, I need a bit of money for you because I can't do my mission without you. He's not some sort of fundraiser. He's the son of God who gave everything he had for you and for me and now involves us in his mission to tell it to the whole world. And as you give your all, that beautiful, sweet-smelling fragrance of Christ will go up to heaven and to the whole world and it'll be a testimony of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me. When you learn how to trust Jesus with your everything, when you're willing to break the bank for him, when you're willing to break your family for him, when you're willing to break your career for him, when you're willing to break your nice fitted plans for retirement for him, he's glorified. And your sacrifice will demonstrate something of the sacrifice that he made for you and for me. Isn't that an outrageous privilege? Doesn't that change your mind when it comes to giving? When your church goes through seasons of giving and giving, it doesn't do so because it likes to reach the papers or because it always needs more money. It does so because it reflects the gospel. Some people think, my ideal church will be a place where they never ask for money. Well, I can tell you, if there's a church that does not talk about money, there'll be no resemblance of the gospel in your life in that area. And trust me, in this world full of possessions, the one thing that speaks louder than words is sacrifices. Sacrifices. Now, I can't look in your life. I don't know what it means for you to hand the doggy bank to God and say, here, have my everything. But I do know that Jesus wants you to step in his footsteps to be liberated from all the materialistic things that hold us close, to be able to sow into the kingdom of God. 
What could you sow into the kingdom of God? How could you spend your days, your retirement, your days at uni, to invest into the kingdom? What could you do to break the bank for God? Now, I dare you to pray that prayer. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm sure as I've been speaking, it's been the one thing in your mind that goes, no. Now, if that's our response, it means we need a little more of the revelation of Jesus because giving is supposed to be a sweet thing. And when we see how much God has given for us, it's an easy thing to let go. And if you look at what you'll get in return, it's an easy thing to let go. It still takes some courage, but it's an easy thing. Now, we're moving to the Netherlands. Maybe some of you'd like to come with us. You'd be very welcome. But for a lot of you, that won't be the case. And there's a mission here and elsewhere. And I want to encourage you, sow your life into the kingdom. Sow your life into the church. You can't invest it better anywhere else. And when other people see that, Pick the fruit, and new life will be birthed everywhere. You see, my desire is for people like Max to step into a church and have a different experience. For people like Max that I met right at the start to walk into a church and go, wow, something's up. The fragrance of Christ is here. Now, I'm going to read one of Goff's favorite quotes uh, from courageous leadership, and it talks about the church. And it talks about somebody grasping a vision for the church by hearing a lecturer. And the lecturer said this. He says, students, there once was a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. And in that band of Christ followers, believers loved each other with a radical kind of love. They took off their masks and shared their lives with one another. They laughed and they cried and they prayed and they sang and served together in authentic Christian fellowship. Those who had more shared freely with those who had less until socioeconomic barriers melted away and people related together in ways that bridged gender and racial chasms and celebrated cultural differences. Acts 2 tells us that this community of believers, this church, offered unbelievers a vision of life that was so beautiful, it took their breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so dynamic, that they couldn't resist it. And verse 7 tells us that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's my vision. I want to plant a church in Nijmegen. Described like that. Acts 2. I want that again in a new place. Norwich. We want a church like that, don't we? We want King's Church like that. And you have got so many wonderful stories of your wonderful, generous giving over the years. But God's not finished yet. It's supposed to multiply. It's supposed to multiply. And I want to encourage you. I feel God has got some very specific things for you as a church. I felt God saying, there's going to be coming a season in which you need to dedicate yourself to prayer and fasting. Because I'm going to do something special. And it says in the early church, when uh, the church 
um, started to dedicate itself to prayer and fasting, something quite special happened. Um, we can read in Acts uh, the story of how Paul and Barnabas were set apart. Now, during that time, it said that the church was praying and fasting, um, and uh, during that time, God spoke to them and said, set apart Barnabas and Paul. Now, I believe as you go through a season of prayer and fasting, and I, I gather you've had other prophetic words about this, that God's going to call some of you. I think specifically some in your leadership team to go and invest and travel, uh, not just here in Norwich, but also elsewhere, invest in the kingdom. And he's going to call some of you to go, to be set apart for the kingdom. Next to that, I think as you learn how to give away your best, and you have got many wonderful stories of giving your best, God's going to increase your flow. As you give away leaders, God's going to bring back leaders. Uh, now, God's provision works a bit like a tap. It's not like a bucket you kind of empty. Um, it's like a tap. You open it, and it comes out, and it starts to flow. As you give, you'll receive. And in many ways, that's not always the same way as what we expect it to be. But um, as you give, I believe God's going to add to you some new leaders. And I think there will be a multicultural expression of leadership in ways that you haven't seen before yet raised up in this church. And as you give, I believe there's going to be a cycle in which you give and you will receive and you'll be able to give more and receive more. And through that, God's going to do a wonderful thing. Now, I think specifically when it comes, uh, uh, it says in Acts 13, it talks about uh, Barnabas and Saul being in the local church there, about teachers and prophets. I think there's a special anointing on your church for teachers and prophets to be raised up, to be multiplied, and to be sent out. I have greatly benefited from teachers and prophets, and I want to encourage you to continue to go after that as a church. Um, Finally, I feel that there's going to be a very important investment for you guys when it comes to those who are in the age of retirement. Um, I, I, I took Simona to Holt this week. We walked around. We had two days at Byford's. It was brilliant. And we just couldn't help but seeing so many retired people having high teas and walking around sandering them all day. Now, I haven't got anything against Sandringham and high tea. That's what we did this week. But I'm going to tell you, if that's how you spent your retirement days only, then I think something has gone askew. You have got something unique to give in your age of retirement and a unique capacity that you won't have in other season of life. And I want to encourage you, don't go sit on the back row. Be involved, active involved. Ask God, what adventure do you still have for me? I love the story of Caleb. Uh, when he's old and retired, saying, I'm going to go for a challenge. Give me the hills with the giants. And I think for you guys, there's going to be a similar thing. Um, and then I think that's going to be related to students. I mean, Norwich has got, is a wonderful city where there's lots of students. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but um, often when you think about student workers, you kind of think, well, if I'm kind of hip and young, and if I got it together, then I could probably join the student team. I, I think God's going to do something different here in Norwich. I, th I think people of all ages, and the, the thing that students need most, I mean, we've been doing some research into Nijmegen particularly, and uh, mental health across students. Uh, the one thing that student needs most in this season is, is family. When they're away from home, they've got no place to anchor themselves, no place to belong. They need family. And I want to encourage you, whatever that looks 
uh, for you, like in this season, I think God has a specific anointing for you to welcome students from every walks of life. I hope that's okay. I'll, I'll leave that with your leadership team to weigh and um, to uh, work out, but I, I felt God saying that. Now, to finish off, I thought, why don't we finish with a bang? A literal bang. Are you up for that? I've got a piggy bank here, and um, I, I thought I'll, I'll bring something else just to help you not forget this message. Uh, and, and it may get a little messy, if that's okay. Do you think this is sturdy enough? Am I going to break it or not? Yeah? All right, I'm going to try. When it comes to giving your all, it does take some courage. And I want you to go away this week and pray some prayers and say, God, I'm willing. And all you need to do is make yourself available and find out what comes from there. You ready? Three, two, one. The doggy bank is no more. When you go home, pray some of these prayers. Don't be encouraged by stories other people tell. Make sure you've got some stories to tell that are yours. And with that mess, I'm going to hand over to Goff to try and wrap this all together.